And now, the starting lineup for your... Gangsters, what's up, guys? I'm a slacker. MV. I'm not going to debate you, Jerry. God bless the internet. What the hell is going on out here? Hello and welcome to Flicking and Screaming. I am Jed Sprague here with my co-host Evan Fagundis. Hey. And JT Chipman. Hello everyone. And this week we're doing something a little different on the pod. We are going to be talking about some recommendations. We're going to be talking about some movies, maybe some books, maybe some art, some recipes. It is a fucking free-for-all on Flicking and Screaming. Uh, Flicking and Screaming's favorite things, so to say. Really it's more just some things that we've been consuming lately that we've been loving. Uh, and are excited to talk about and share with you because we think it might be worth your time. But before we get into that, gentlemen, how are we doing? Evan, my friend, how are you? There's a beautiful Christmas tree in the background. Love seeing a little bit of festive spirit on the pod. Yes, exactly. A little little holiday decoration around. It has me feeling really good. I'm I'm ready to be the most boring person on this podcast today, um, which, which I'm resigned to. I'm okay with. Um, I'm super excited to hear what you two have to say when it comes to, uh, especially when you throw out recipes there, Jed. That got me kind of excited that that you maybe talk a little bit of food on this pod. But overall, I'm doing well. Um, you mentioned the decorations. I feel like that always gets me in kind of a good mood. It is a little bit chillier here in the city, which uh, just kind of adds to the atmosphere. And I'm happy to be here. Chip, how are you doing? A lot of books in Chip's background. Always lots of books. They're going to have to get packed up into into boxes here soon. Uh, My life has been consumed by something called the container store that Diana has for me is a real store that exists. (laughs) Apparently, Evan knows about this as well. Jed, do you know about the container store? Uh, yes, have, have heard, have heard. Uh, there's, there's a <laughs> store for containers and we need to buy a lot of them apparently. So, uh, that's what my life is looking like right now. And I'm mixing in some, some movies and some books in there too. And we're going to talk about them. So Jed, how are you? You know what guys, I am doing fantastic. Uh, I had a nice Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, happy to be back at home. Uh, I wouldn't say I got my heater situation in the garage solved, but Definitely, like, I mean, as you can tell, uh, listeners, you can't tell, so this is bad podcast hosting. But I'm wearing a sweater rather than, like, a large parka, so uh, I am feeling much more comfortable in my environment today. Uh, Yeah, so excited to be talking about some recommendations. I think we were kind of trying to bridge the gap till next week where we had a really, you know, good movie that we're – or really good episode that we're excited to do about a movie I think we're all excited to see, but doesn't come out on Mm -hmm. VOD till next week. Hold for later. Uh. And it's something that we've kind of done, I think, in the past, but we've done more movie-centric. And I think that, uh, you know, uh, listeners, you are all people of the arts, thespians, if you will. I think uh, it was, let's broaden our horizons. We all consume other art. We consume other uh, other things in this life other than movies. Let's Let's pull the curtain back. Let's be a little human. Let's share some recommendations or some things that we've been enjoying uh, in recent times, uh, let us gather around uh, and confide in one another. What do you think? You set me up to fail because I still have three movies on my recommendation list. I have a lot of movies as well. <laughs> yeah, I've got two movies on mine too. So I, I think the thing is, guys, like, let, let's 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 be real. Like, movie podcast, we're gonna have some movies. I think it's just there's gonna be a little bit of diversity. Um, so they're gonna be we're each gonna do five recommendations. Out of my five, I've got two. 
Chip, you've got three. So that's right there. That's fucking five movies. Evan? I believe I'm going to... Three three of my five are movies. One contains three movies. So. We are like 80% or... No, sorry. We're 50% movies, if you don't count mm-hmm. the Evans three movies. We're 50% movies, right. basically. Uh, actually, 55%. I love that. Love that. I think it's good ratio. A little bit of variety, but we're going to stick to our roots. You guys want to kick it off? Why don't we just, like, warm up with a movie each? Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. let's do one of our movies, and then we maybe we can do some variety. Evan, what's yeah. a movie that you want to recommend to the listeners of Flicking and Screaming? I... Am honored to recommend You Hurt My Feelings that that came out this year. I, I'm not only going to do movies that came out this year, but I kind of wanted to talk about a movie that we haven't gotten to talk about very much as, as a podcast. And I honestly haven't heard talked about that much overall. Um, but I do keep a running, you know, like a nerd, I keep a running list and, and try to almost rank in real time movies as I see them. And as I keep going through this year, I keep seeing movies that I like, um, that I have a good time with. And I keep slotting them behind You Hurt My Feelings. So it's it's not my top five necessarily, um, but it's sniffing right around my top 10. And it's definitely the movie that I've talked about the least that I have that high up there. Um, it's Nicole Holof Center's uh, uh, movie. I believe she wrote and directed it. Julia Louis-Dreyfus, um, Ariane Moad, 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 um, the guy from uh, um, Stewie from Succession is great in it. Um, Tobias Menzies is is Julia's husband in the movie. I don't know. It's just like a very funny, enjoyable experience. I'm really excited to see it again. Um, and it's one of those movies that, you know, has its fair share of drama and, and you know, holds you into its like more plot based elements. But ultimately, it's just like a really good time. And, and uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is like one of my favorite people, one of my favorite performers. And um, she doesn't get to do too many good movies. Love that. Love that. Uh, that is one I've not seen. Have you guys seen this movie? Okay. No, haven't seen it. I gotta, I gotta put it on the list. It's um, very good. Yeah. I'm excited to watch it. I think, like, I've kind of... This year's been a little long. Is that kind of tracking with everybody else? I, it, I, I wouldn't agree. say the year has flown by for me. And uh, I almost, like, forgot that that was this year. Like, when you said that, I was like, oh, cool. Good one from last year. Maybe we missed. Didn't talk about. And then, like, like the Batman came out this year, guys. Like how many lives have we lived since Robert Pattinson? The Batman did not come out this year. No, it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. All right, I'm fucked up. Whatever. Guys, the Batman came out sometime. The Batman is older than Isla. <laughs> in the in the recent past. No way. I will say, for a minute, like last week, I was like, oh yeah, the Northman came out this year, right? Oh, no. Northman. My number one movie of last year, lest did, us forget. Didn't the Batman come out in like February of 2022? You are right. I don't know why. It's 2022 was like, also very long. It was so long yeah. ago that I was like, oh, it came out in February of 2023. Because to me, those are the same. Might yeah. Um, Your point is a, taken, though. It, it does feel long. In a post-COVID world? Uh, Chip, I'm going to go. Because fuck your recommendation. By I'm all gonna, means, please. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to recommend uh, actually a Christmas movie. Uh, guys, I am fucking Holly and I'm fucking Jolly this year. I am really uh, stoked on Christmas. And you might see that in my recommendations. Uh, this won't be the last Christmas recommendation that I throw out, but it's a movie I did not know about. This little movie is called The Feast of Seven Fishes. Uh, I watched it on Netflix. Uh, sad day in my house when Netflix has officially implemented the household rule. 
uh, I have stopped being able to bridge on my parents' uh, Netflix account after a really, really good long run. I'm now paying $22.99 a month for Netflix Premium uh, on my own dollar. Um, so please, any any handouts, if anyone wants to Venmo me. Uh, well, we'll, I'm assuming Charlie and I will need to start chipping in for that at some point. I mean, I, God, it's like... <laughs> There's as much pot. screen time as I'm sure they're taking up with that Netflix. They need, no, they need to get they need to get jobs, frankly. Uh, but anyway, I when I was the actual the the gift of this was that I actually got to go through. Rachel and I used to share a profile, so a lot of my recommendations were based on her. I got to go through and like select like all these things that I liked, and so now like all my recommendations are like curated around like because I I'm like loved the killer, you know, like and the mm-hmm. Irishman. And, and I am loving it. And so The Feast of Seven Fishes is like a small uh, kind of independent Christmas movie that came out in 2018 or 19, starring our boy, Skylar Gazondo. Uh, and it also has uh, Joe Pantolano, Joey Pants in it. Uh, it is about wow. an Italian family uh, on Christmas Eve. And it's kind of like a little romance, like a hometown romance Christmas story. Uh, but I love Skylar Gazondo. Um, I think, you know, we we've all kind of enjoyed the things that he's done. I know Evan and I uh, you know, are big fans of the Righteous Gemstones. And then, of course, mm-hmm. you know, pizza and licorice pizza. Uh, one of one of the great little. Uh, bien, moments. bien, bueno, bien. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they got the they got they got the Salisbury back here. Great, great, great. <laughs> um, but he's he's great. Uh, I actually, this is like the last recommendation I added to the list because I watched this last night, kind of stumbled across it. And I will tell you, it is just a super solid three star enjoyable time. Laughed, uh, out loud a couple of times. Um, it's also got, uh, Andrew Schultz, who is a comedian. Uh, mm-hmm. I kind of like know the face, but not, not like familiar with him, but yeah, good time set in the eighties in Pennsylvania, Italian family, hijinks ensue. There aren't a lot of Christmas movies that are aimed at uh, people, I would say, like us. And uh, this one feels like that. So happy to recommend The Feast of Seven Fishes if you are looking for a Christmas movie uh, that has a little bit more to offer. So, mm-hmm. That's a great pick. That was a great pick. That's I am looking pick. for more Christmas movies because I feel like at some I've point you can only that. repeat the same so many times. Good call. I've not seen that. Yeah, um, I've got a movie to recommend as well. I'm going to throw it all the way back. Uh, we got we got a couple of modern picks. I'm going to go back to 1964. Uh, great time for America. A movie called Failsafe. This is a Sidney Lumet film from 1964. Mm. It, it's interesting you were talking about your streaming strategies there, Jed, because I've taken to using Canopy, which is the streaming service of like the different public libraries in America. And you get like a certain number of credits. You get like 12 free credits every month to use on movies. It's ad free. It's a great, super easy to use streaming site that I definitely recommend people get on. If you have a library card, it's all you need. And they've got a lot of, in particular, like I've I've watched like several. I don't know why, but like Sydney Lumet movies, I've been like watching on on Canopy specifically. And Failsafe is maybe the most like disturbing of all of them. It's actually it's it's basically about nuclear panic. And I actually saw this earlier in the year before Oppenheimer, but it's certainly something that came to mind while thinking about the nuclear bomb and atomic policy that comes up in the last hour particular of Oppenheimer, but it's got a lot of Sidney Lumet's like normal cast of Henry Fonda, Walter Matthau, and Henry Fonda is playing the president of the United States. And he's facing this very unexpected nuclear crisis when a, a warhead is launched unintentionally 
overseas and he's having to deal with the fallout of that. And, you know, I, I, I tend to watch the little more dark. You, you guys are recommending like comedies and like feel good Christmas movies. And this is like one of the darkest movies I've ever seen. Like I straight up felt sick after watching this movie, like because the ending is really like a gut punch. Um, and I can't recommend it strongly enough. Like I felt worse after watching this movie than I did walking out of Oppenheimer. And I felt pretty shitty as documented walking out of Oppenheimer. Um, but it's a great black and white movie. It, it It's, it's got, it's a political thriller. It's a movie for adults. And I, I'm really enjoying my movies for adults this year. You're an adult. I can shoot an adult. This is the movie. Boy. Isn't this basically like the serious version of Dr. Strangelove that came Correct. out the exact yes. same year? Yeah. Yep. It yeah. is definitely a companion piece with Dr. Strangelove, but it's like as for as funny as Strangelove is, this is as serious. Mm. Like it, it's it genuinely like, gets hard to watch at the end. Okay. Well, interesting pick, Chip. Never fail uh, with those with those ones. I, I'm gonna watch it. Uh, it's really good. Like in it, it, it genuinely flies by too. Like it's such a like Lumet movies are just so well made and like, God, I don't. He, he's such a he's such a prolific director. He's made so much, and there's definitely a lot of his work that like falls through the cracks because like, you know, back in back in that era, directors made so many more movies than I think they made today, and a lot of those kind of get lost to time. But when he's on, I mean, he's fucking on. Love it. Uh, Evan, I, now now it's up to your discretion. You know, wherever you want to go. Okay. You don't, don't have to go movie. Okay. I'm going to go a lot lighter. And this is something that has kind of taken my life by storm this year. Um, but I'm going to recommend people give Real Housewives a chance. And I'm going to recommend you guys give Real Housewives a chance. Because Come on, man. I Wait, which one, though? I, I'm I'll get to that because I've seen I, I I've I've watched through a few as of right now you I highly highly recommend starting with Beverly Hills it's Thank you. early it's the earliest Housewives um it, it brings you to a OC. oh yeah that yeah it started like a year before I I have done first season of OC but can't do OC beginning Vicky. of Beverly Hills is Vicky. unbelievable Vicky's miserable it's you can't do OC <laughs> gotta go Bev Hills Evan I could not agree more strongly can i yeah. take a guess did has emily been watching this for like a long time and then she went back and like rewatched early stuff to get you along for the ride nope we wow. entered it together yes we entered it together um we actually so started cool. because salt lake city is the most recent franchise it just started a few years ago it's on it's like maybe fifth season so we've been watching that basically um starting with like season two on and we, we started to branch out, but I just can't recommend it enough. It's one of those sh for years and years and years. My mom got People magazine. I'd see them on the front cover or whatever. And I was just like, that is a world that is different than mine. I'm just not connected to this in any way. And now that I watch it, I, I look forward every night to getting a couple episodes in. So I, I just couldn't recommend people enough. Find a franchise that you're interested in. Try out a couple episodes and uh and tell me that you're not sitting there at work thinking about how, you know, Kim and Kyle Richards need to get over their differences to uh, uh, to make it to the next function. And by the way, and they're still going strong. And like the people that stick it through and stick it through and then the people that like drop off. If you are at all interested, Evan, this is a phenomenal recommendation. This has been a part of my life for a long time uh, at this point, too. I would say the two best ones, like the two most high quality after trying a lot of them. I did Atlanta. I did 
I've done Salt Lake City. Uh, I think it, Bev Hills and New York like stand strong above the rest. And it's actually a really good time to hop on like New York, York as well. Because New York is a entirely brand new cast. They basically like retired the old mm -hmm. cast and like brought in whole new people. So you could start fresh with new storylines this year. Um, I don't know. It. I don't know. I don't know if I'm sold. Chip, uh, I think you'd absolutely adore it. Like it's just the perfect I mean, amount of like like psychosis for you. Like there's like you just you will get wrapped up in it in a way that you I you can't even describe. You know, we got off of we haven't been on our our bachelor kick lately, so maybe we we kind of faded on that. So maybe bachelor, we need to fill the bachelor reality so void 2013, with dude. You got to get just, off it. You got to enter either Love Island or Real Housewives or both. That's like Okay. Just get with the times. Okay. Okay. We'll we'll get to TV shows for me. All right. Uh I'm trying to figure out which way I should go for my next one. Uh I think I'm going to go actually with my favorite recipe from last year uh those of you uh avid listeners will know that uh one of my new year's resolutions was to work on my knife skills uh this year because i love to cook but i was always struggled with prep because i was not a skilled mm -hmm. uh, knifeman that is something I've, i probably the the new year's resolution i've followed through on more than any in my entire life uh and i have really developed uh my skills uh with the knife in the kitchen and then therefore kind of in the kitchen in general, because when you work, learn different cutting techniques and you, you kind of gain access to new recipes. But the thing that I kept making over and over and over this year, and I think it works in kind of any season, um, there's ways to like make it more summery, ways to make it a little bit more wintry. But uh, it is a recipe from uh, this woman, Haley Catalano, uh, Cafe Haley is her website. And it is a roasted chicken thighs and radish dish. So radish is obviously traditionally served raw, with butter, uh, this is basically radishes and leeks, um, you, know, you know, chopped in the bottom of a baking dish, um, just olive oil, garlic, a uh, little bit of salt, pepper, red pepper flakes, and then you lay bone-in chicken thighs over the top of that that concoction, and you roast it all together. So all the juice from the thighs goes into the radishes and the leeks um you get this really nice crispy skin because bone-in thighs always have the skin on uh and then you can serve it with like a small side salad in the summer i did one with dill uh and snap peas and then in the winter i've done um you know more like kale uh in the summer squeeze a little lemon over the top of everything it just adds a little bit of brightness out of a little bit of freshness but i just couldn't stop making this dish because like radishes and olive oil and butter are just a complete delicacy uh and it is something that was completely unfamiliar to me before i made this recipe for the first time and so i gotta recommend it uh guys roast your radishes get some butter up in there roast those things put some chicken thighs on the top and just thank me later uh i'll have chip link the link to link the link i'll just have him link the recipe in the, in the uh, show notes uh for us so you guys can go and follow along and i would love to be tweeted at uh and thanked for sharing this recipe because it is my favorite of last year by far, even though it's one of the most simple. You it's had me at butter. That's all I need. <laughs> I'll be making that. Chip, hit me, brother. Let's talk. Let's talk television. Um, 
I would have maybe put Downton Abbey in this spot because I just finished watching Downton Abbey with Diana, which was a great time, certainly. It It's a show that really devolves into its soapy elements after season three or four, whenever it, it, it can. Can we spoil Downton Abbey? I don't know if uh, there's a certain event. And after that certain very infamous and very important event, the show just becomes a soap opera and it gets a bit cyclical and it's kind of happy to see it. In. But it was a good time. I, I would recommend that. But we just started The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And I am having an absolute blast with it. I'm only we're two episodes into season two and I'm like already strong enough to recommend uh, 10 episodes into the season, the show total. And I can definitely say it's like one of the better shows I've watched in a minute. So Amazon Prime show, Rachel Brosnahan is a comic. It's it in, in the 1950s. She is a housewife. All of a sudden, in the middle of a divorce, she gets up on stage, drunk off her ass, and gives an amazing stand-up routine, and people love it. And she says, oh, there's a whole different world out there that uh, is open for me now that I don't have to be a, a traditional housewife anymore. So it's fun because you get a lot of the the Mad Men elements, like her ex-husband works on Madison Avenue. A lot of the Mad Men fashion and New York streets and everything – Throw in the world of stand-up comedy, so you've got the the seedy downtown of New York City in the 1950s. You know when it was when it was a real city down there, and it had some real characters. Um, and there's also some really interesting stuff on like being a Jewish American in the 1950s, like after World War II. So there's some interesting political stuff. But then there's also just these amazing cast of characters. Tony Shalhoub, in particular, as her dad is an absolute riot like my favorite tv character in a minute is is abe wiseman uh tony shalhoub playing her dad he is a tenured columbia mathematics professor um evan there's almost like some serious man stuff going on there like he literally teaches in front of a blackboard like in serious man um and i just couldn't stop thinking about about some of that um but yeah i it's it's a recommendation with an asterisk because i haven't actually finished the show but it is probably the at least the funniest show I have watched since Community. Nice. Love that. Fantastic, Rec. I will be watching that because the show is also created, and a lot of it was written by Amy Sherman Palladino. And it it's not on my list because I'd been watching it for a while, but like Gilmore Girls was probably the show that I appreciated picking up the most this year, and that was also created by Amy Sherman Palladino. Uh, there you go. So there's a lot of symmetry. Yeah, I mean, this isn't on my list, but just I couldn't recommend Gilmore Girls enough either. It's just like the most com it's the most comfort food show uh, of all time. Um, love that wreck. Love that wreck. Yeah. Um, Evan, what do you got for us yeah. next? Um, good wreck chip. So, OK, I'm going to change it up a little bit. I'll keep it right there um, with Tony Shalhoub. Monk is is probably the show that I have appreciated the most over the last few years. And I might have even brought it up on the pod at one point, but it's, you know, early 2000s. Um, and it's Tony Shalhoub playing like a super, super, super duper OCD uh, detective um, who is, you know, through through circumstances that are revealed very early in the show, basically kicked out of the police force, but um, does like uh, uh, private work. For, for them all the time and he's just it's unbelievable you know it's it's one of those things where he makes everyone around him absolutely crazy um but is the only one that can pick up on on certain small details because of how detail oriented he is he has a great cast including uh ted levine uh buffalo bill himself who who has the the great thundering voice and has the mustache in the show and uh 
I don't know. It's just one of those shows that I, I never saw at all as a kid. I'm not sure why my family, it just wasn't in the rotation and feels like an all timer. Love it. Love it. I'm actually funny enough. I'm going to like keep with the monk theme, um, which is Ooh. weird that, that you uh, did that. So, uh, this is one of my favorite books that I've read in the last year. I, uh, I've read a lot of books, but a lot of them I've talked about on the podcast. This one, I do not think, uh, that I have. This one is the first book in the monk and robot series. Um, and it's called a Psalm for the wild built. Uh, this is by Becky chambers. Uh, and it's basically a story of, it's kind of like a post-apocalyptic universe, um, where there's different orders of monks and essentially, it is one of the lowest stakes stories, one of the lowest stakes reads I've ever uh, taken part on. But it's just kind of this like contemplative, meditative story that pro- plods along uh, and is really based around these conversations. And I don't know, I felt like I I really enjoy enjoyed exploring exploring like my own emotionality and a lot of things that I was feeling um, this past year through the lens of like these two companions, right? So this team monk basically befriends a robot and they travel the wilderness together. Um, and I, I think it's just, a, it was just like beautiful in its simplicity and it's not very long. I think it's about 140 pages or something. Very quick read. Uh, but something that I think is like worth people's time. Uh, it's one that even though I wouldn't say it was like my favorite book that I've read this year, it's probably one I've thought about the most in hindsight. Um, I read, a, I've read a lot of like, you know, epic fantasy novels and like space operas and things that have, you know, kept me really excited. And uh, Psalm for the Wild Bill is one that just kept me thinking. And uh, I think that's important. And so happy to recommend that. Nice. Good to be thinking. Good to be thinking. The great thinkers of our time, they were thinking. Um, and, and they're on this podcast, all three of them. <laughs> <laughs> I have another movie to recommend. Is it my turn? Am I jumping ahead? Yeah. 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 No, it's Excellent. Um, Three Days of the Condor is a 1970s spy movie. I texted you guys about this movie when I saw it this summer because I was like, holy shit. Um, so it's it's this for the first hour and 20 minutes. It's a, a ma- like solid B plus CIA spy movie. Robert Redford gets paired up with Faye Dunaway. Um, he's Robert Redford's the CIA guy, but he's a little bit, uh, he's kind of a fish out of water. He, he's playing like a bookkeeper essentially who like he works for the CIA, but he stays in some back building and he just like looks through books and documents all day looking for patterns. He's not a field agent at all, but, uh, in movie fashion, everything goes to shit. And all of a sudden he's out on his own, doesn't know who to trust, can't trust his handlers, can't trust his bosses. But he's really smart. He is he's not like the smoothest or the the sharpest CIA guy doesn't have like the greatest like gun skills. But he's got his he gets his wits about him eventually gets paired up with Faye Dunaway for a good while. It's very like complicated circumstances, very 1970s romance circumstances, I guess you could say. Um, But, you know, events unfold. The real supporting cast highlight, though, is Max von Max von Sydow, who plays a German assassin. He is the guy from The Seventh Seal. He's the knight in that movie. He is he's in Shutter Island. He's in The Extras. He's one of those guys that you've seen in a bunch of places. And every time you pop up, it just makes you really happy. He plays this like charming German assassin who's like after Redford the entire time, but is like 
like a nice guy. <laughs> it's kind of hard to describe the vibe he brings because he's Max on side was also like a very tall, very like imposing man. But he has great this voice. like really nice smile and a great voice. And he's he's kind of a jovial fellow on this movie. But like I said, solid B plus movie until the last 15 minutes. And then the movie goes absolutely God mode. And I, I don't want to describe how it goes God mode, but there's a couple of scenes where it's like on level with like Robert Town dialogue in Chinatown or The Godfather. Like it is it is that good in particular, the conversations that Redford is having um, as everything is wrapping up. And he also like Robert Redford, one of the most attractive men in Hollywood ever. Not sure if he's ever looked better than in this movie. He at one point wears this black peacoat with a collar like up to his up 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 to the top of his head almost and he flips mm-hmm. that collar let me tell you like he is just a really like the style like i want to dress like robert redford in this movie between this and all the president's men i mean redford has been a fascination of mine this year the uh it's funny that you mentioned that specifically because it like robert redford you know like on fashion instagram like on like robert redford like fashion icon posts basically all the all of the outfits are from three days of the condor they'll be like robert redford style icon and it's just pictures from the same movie it's like, yeah he gets like but four I think he different wore, like all his own movie. clothes in that movie that's really like great, yeah yeah there, that was like one of the Jesus. weird things there's actually there's a couple of uh of uh actors newman was another one that did this where in like a couple of movies like when they got carte blanche there's like i'm gonna wear my own wardrobe and uh that's why three days of the condor like at, at fashion robert redford I think was so famous because wow. he like basically just dressed himself. He just like showed up on set. And he's like, this is what I'm wearing today. Uh, but yeah, that peacoat outfit, I, I think I had it as a wallpaper for a while. Like that shit is fucking incredible. Um, yeah. He's, he's got I mean, the seventies, like the, if a Dahmer glasses before Dahmer, you know? Yeah, but they weren't. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. They're not like creepy. It's just like those big. No, no. Like, I don't, it's, it's, it's the kind of Coke bodily glasses. It's like, I don't want to associate them with Jeffrey Dahmer. It's like, this is way before Jeffrey Dahmer was doing his thing. Redford and Michael Caine were the two who just went crazy in those glasses. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Um, all right. Great, great wreck. Uh, mm-hmm. good old one. school, old school chip. I love it. Uh, Evan, we got each have two more. Uh, what do yeah. you got for us? Um, okay, so I have a trio of movies from the basically the beginning of the career of, I think, somebody who is a great director, like capital G, great director, who we basically don't talk about at all anymore, and that's Tim Burton. And this is one of my favorite directors. And I don't think we talk about him, or we don't talk about him for good reason. He doesn't make good movies anymore. So I'm not like, you know, I don't think he's a martyr or anything like that, but... He is a great director because I don't think somebody could make the movies that he's made without being a great director. Um, And I'll just say very recently, well, a few months ago, I watched Pee Wee's uh, Big Adventure, Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands back to back. And that's just absurd. Like you go back and rewatch those movies and I feel like, you know, they're almost thought of as like these um, fantastical children's stories that had maybe more to say than originally meets the eye. But they are like perfectly crafted movies um, that are absolutely gorgeous to look at. Some of my favorite movies of all time. And I just highly recommend, I believe they're maybe all three are on max. Um, and I would just highly, highly recommend people go back and watch them because I mean, it, it's, a, it's up there with like one of the best runs. And then you throw Batman in there. It's up with one of the best runs 
I think a director's had in, you know, the last 50 or 60 years. Burton is a guy I just haven't tapped into at all. Like outside of Batman, I just, it's, it's so easy to identify his style, but I don't have Mm -hmm. a personal relationship with him at all. I, my most personal relationship with him is honestly nightmare before Christmas. Um, and he didn't even like do that. No, it's not even what it, he didn't even he didn't even direct it, right? He produced he it. He like he like yeah, like he like produced it. He was supposedly on set like two days total. It's a Henry Selleck movie, but who's also great. But he like did some artwork. But you see, yeah, you it, see like, his you see his fingerprints all over like mm-hmm. the the design of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Not it's that one I want to talk about. Boots. It's one of his what? It's just like one of his great coups. I mean, like. You're right, Jet. Like one of his most memorable things is Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas, and like he didn't even have to direct it. But I feel like that's how iconic he was. What were you gonna say, Jet? I was gonna say I don't want to talk about other podcasts here, but I know Griffin Newman from Blake Check absolutely loves Burton. Have you listened to their series on him? I have, and and we're kind of jumping the gun. I was gonna be gracious and and talk about them a little bit, but yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I have listened to to them talk about Burton, and after. I watched him. I went back and listened to some of those because he is somebody who is so fascinating to me and like somebody who part of why I feel like maybe I like Yorgos Lanthimos so much. Like you can see the craft happening in front of you. And like, I totally get some people not liking the craft, but it's so specific and so not in this world. I I can really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Uh, I need to go back and watch Edward Scissorhands. It's been a long time. Incredible. Uh, all right. My, Great Winona. My turn. Oh, okay. I'll do a, I'll do another movie. Because uh, this is my second movie that I've got in the last movie okay. I've got. So I don't know if I've talked about this on the pod. I was like kind of hesitant to put this on there because I was like, fuck, I feel like I might have. But you know what? I said, fuck it. Uh, I needed to live my truth because I've watched it a couple times recently. Uh, and guys, I, I really love this movie. So, uh, for those that aren't aware, I, uh, I've recently, I mean, in the recent, you know, whatever, three years, my family's gotten into F1, you know, went to a race last summer, uh, you know, still keep up. Uh, and there's not very many F1 movies. Um, but I would say the best F1 movie and what I would actually classify as a great sports movie is called Rush from 2013, starring our boy, Daniel Burrell as Nikki Lauda uh, and Chris Hemsworth as James Hunt. It's also got Olivia Wilde in it. Natalie Dormer uh, is in it uh, from Game of Thrones. Uh, it's just got like a really kind of like cool fringe Hollywood cast. I guess Hemsworth has gotten lar- you know a lot bigger since then. But it's just a fucking good sports movie about a good sports story uh, that I don't think a lot of people are as familiar with. And... Yeah, I, I just really, like, really enjoy it. it. It Racing, guys. I think I watched it for the first time in the, uh, after I got into F1, but also when I was, like, basically hitting Ford v. Ferrari up, like, once every three weeks, you know? <laughs> like, when I was just really in that <laughs> bag. And there is something about racing as a uh, cinematic vehicle that I really enjoy. And I think... Daniel Brühl is always great. Uh, you know, he was he was in the cast of the All Quiet on the Western Front remake. Um, that was much acclaimed from last year. Uh, also, you know, anecdotally, he's in Burnt, which is one of my favorite 
three star movies of all time. Uh, you know, with Bradley Cooper as as a chef and him him as his like partner, Mater D. He is one of my favorite people that just pops up, and this is like one of the only things I've seen him in where he's like center frame all the time, and he's fucking awesome. Like he's just a really good actor, and uh, I enjoy my time with him. And then you know, kind of set off by Hemsworth, the the characters like they work really well for the characters. James Hunt's kind of the you know the meathead jock, and Nikki Lauda is this like crafty, um, you know, intelligent racer who you know basically paid his way to be on an F1 team, but then went to Ferrari and, you know, really like worked hard to develop the car. You know, he was, he was kind of the all encompassing racer, one of the greatest racers in F1 history. Um, and yeah, if anybody's at all interested in, in racing, the history of racing or formula one, you got to watch rush. Uh, and you might've already, and even if you're not, I think it's a really good hang. Uh, so. Now, Jed, have you had to take out a second mortgage with your funding to the new F1 Brad Pitt, Joseph Kaczynski movie? Hmm. <laughs> Uh, no. So I was able to like, I basically, I put everything, uh, on a loan and I'm like, you know, taking that loan against future earnings from, uh, the Brad Pitt movie. By the way, I still think that's the fucking craziest thing of all time that, that like legitimately that he was like filming driving in an F1 car, like during formula one. I, I just don't like, it's so unsafe. But Kaczyn- I trust in Kaczynski to shoot action movies, especially after Maverick. I so I cannot wait to see it. That move, that movie might make like eight hundred million dollars. Like if Oppenheimer can almost make a billion, I feel like the guy who made Top Gun Maverick with Brad Pitt and how popular F one is, that movie might yeah may, maybe like seven hundred. But I think that movie could go bonkers if Apple markets it right. I think if it's good, like the thing is, like Brad Pitt will get a lot of people to like come into the theater but the thing is it could have staying power because of kaczynski being good but i don't think kaczynski's name will sell it like i don't think most of the people that bought tickets to top gun maverick bought it because they're like oh you know and then like walked out and like that joseph kaczynski yeah you can really make a movie you don't think you put from the director of top gun maverick in there uh maybe but i still just think that like i don't know i think i think it's possible i think it's possible actually when you put it that way but his name no yeah, yeah, no, I guess sure, you're, I sure. Guess I'm you're not right. saying Kaczynski is gonna ring out amongst the movie palaces of America. No, you're you're right, Chip. I I I'm sorry. You're right. Like I overlooked. I thought you were just like saying Joseph Kaczynski. I'm like absolutely no shot. But if you're like starring Brad Pitt from the director of Top Gun Maverick, I think people are probably like, oh, I'm know. gonna go think... see that. You're right. You're right. I'm wrong. Killers of the Flower right. Moon made a lot of money. I mean, I think the movie has to be PG-13. It's got to be marketed right, but. Apple made money with Killers of the Flower Moon, and they that movie was not made for theaters, and they still made money off of it. I think they're pretty, making money. They're pretty pitch perfect at marketing their stuff. Apple's gotten really good at their like cross yeah. releases. I mean, they just won. They they've got the best picture Oscar. Other yeah. streaming services don't have that. Well, and I appreciate Apple's. Well, now we're on like a. a and Apple praising, uh, but like Apple seems to really want their movies to do well in theaters, which is pretty yeah. refreshing, you know, so different than the Netflix. They work with directors who I think give a shit about that. But like David Fincher doesn't give a sh- David Fincher has made hit movies, right? Like, yeah, but I don't think movies. he I think he's like so 
and again, this is this has just become a David Fincher podcast three weeks in a row. Um, but I feel like he's like become so cynical on like the state of things that he's just like, fuck it, release it like the same day. I don't care. Like, you know, just put it on Netflix the same day. Who gives a fuck? Maybe. Maybe you know, I don't I still don't understand that. I wanna he would never give me a straight answer, and no journalist is gonna ask him to his face, why the fuck would you choose like one of the worst streamers with their compression rates and everything to put your perfect movies on? But those Almost. others didn't exist when he got in bed with them, right? Like he got in bed with Netflix to that make, might be part of it to to make prestige television, right? And like that was the first Netflix. Like we need to give Netflix credit for the fact that they were the first streamer to push that forward, right? They're like, what if we take like the HBO model of like prestige drama TV and we just bring it to the streaming world? Like people forget, like I had to record Game of Thrones. On you know on like TiVo back in the mm-hmm. day, um, it was yeah. It, it, yeah I think so. That's what I think like why he's in bed with Netflix is because like once you develop a relationship, it's just a lot easier than like leaving for Apple and like reacquainting and getting money. Like you know like does he go after he does all the you know like after he does um fucking uh, what's it called uh, Mindhunter. Mindhunter, thank you. Yeah, I was I was like blanking on Mindhunter. I was gonna say Criminal Minds, and I'm like that show that show was on network cable, baby. Uh, but after he does Criminal Minds, and you know after he does House of Cards, like does he get to take? Does he get to take? Sorry, Mindhunter. I said Criminal Minds again, didn't I? God damn it. Uh, I would anyway. so watch David Fincher's Criminal Minds. Yeah, I would too. But anyway, I, beside the point, we're gonna leave this all in the pod because it's fucking. We need to know how how off the rails this host is tonight um anyway the point is if he does those things with netflix does he get the money to do mank from any other streamer right does he get to go to apple and be like give me money for mank or is mank like you know was like mank the end goal that those shows provided it was like the deal with netflix um and now he's just in bed with them and fuck it let's yeah he could just be like i've if I have to deal with one more studio, I will kill myself. So I might as well just keep working with a studio that I know how to work with as opposed to leaving and learning the language that Apple speaks. Yeah, I mean, I think that yes. interesting- and will be like, here's 60 million dollars. You do it with it what you please. That's why that's why Marty is so interesting, right? Because he did Netflix with the Irishman and then he went to Apple. Like, that's what's mm-hmm. become probably a much more interesting. Like, what? what why did you do that? And maybe it was. The that's true. Experience. Well, I think Marty kind of like. That's why David Fincher only got whatever 50 million to make the killer and didn't get 160 million to make like whatever other, you know, like world bending movie he wanted to make or something. Right. Like, because I think Netflix was like, hold on, we might not be doing this. And Apple's like, we'll do 200 million, but it's only going to be for like the guys who have made Goodfellas and Blade Runner. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting. It's interesting. Cause like Soderbergh is out here just making tiny movies for hbo and or yeah hbo right max or whatever um and uh and he's not even really getting things released in theaters too much anymore we'll see how it how it kind of turns out after um after you know covid and stuff but yeah i don't know it's interesting to see how these guys have navigated definitely uh i I would i would about where we were in the conversation. I would recommend Goodfellas and Blade Runner, by the way. They would be, uh, they're certainly high on my list of recommendations. Those films. They're on the outside looking in, but, yeah. you know, if you're mm-hmm. looking for well, something. OLI. <laughs> I'd recommend uh, you watch A Man Called Otto first before you, before you go to those. Uh, Apple is really, you know. 
Uh, next up, I have uh, what's what's that new Bill Burr movie? That's the one I've got next. You mm, see that? Dad. Like, by the way, I, I'm dads. like I'm kind of getting kind of in on the trailer. Like, I need to see that. Uh, I heard it was terrible, but uh, I walked in on about 15 minutes of it. Uh, my mom was watching over, you know, Thanksgiving break, and I think your mom watches more than like, some movie critics do. I really respect her. Uh, okay, thousand. She watches way more movies than me for sure. Where were we in our in our? I think it's I think it's my turn. Um, really quickly, I will recommend a book, Monsters: mm-hmm. A Fan's Dilemma by Claire nice. Detterer. Book I read this summer. What do we do with can celebrities? The age old question that we have been facing since we were all toddlers. What are we supposed to do with canceled celebrities? Um, but it's 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 a memoir style book of Claire Detterer, this this critic who is dealing with like, hey, I really love Chinatown. I really love Manhattan. What am I supposed to do about Roman Polanski and Woody Allen? Can I love these movies? Can I love these directors? Mm. How do I talk about them? Um, chapter by chapter, she kind of goes through, like the chapters are basically broken down by celebrities. Like there's a chapter on J.K. Rowling. There's a chapter on like this, there there was this Seattle punk band that her daughter was really into that was like super based, anti-capitalist, rah-rah, and then one of the lead singers got accused of sexual assault or so, something like that. You know, the one of the lead singers has some, something bad happened and they got canceled right so it's like this this isn't just for your old white men it's also for current artists and current art and you know i I get i get the book and i'm like okay are we leading to a big conclusion are we leading to her laying out some rubric some calculator where we can punch in the numbers punch in okay this director made this great thing minus this allegation minus this confirmed allegation equals box office Divided by number of transphobic comments <laughs> to the power <laughs> of <laughs> which like, is like obviously it was ridiculous that I would even think something like that would be coming, but obviously it, it doesn't go there and really it it doesn't end on any solid note because it is kind of just a memoir. It's kind of her just working through her own feelings in real time. Um but it basically comes down to the question of like, what do you think love is? What's your relationship with love? How much do you love art? How much do you love people? How much do you love the people who have been hurt by art, right? And you just have to have that, like basically you just have to have that conversation with yourself and you can't let anyone have that conversation for you. So it's not that it's anti-cancel culture. It's not that it's anti-PC play it safe culture, but it's very much like you have to have a personal responsibility for the things that you control for the way that if you are an artist, the way that you are impacting other people and the way that your love of art impacts other people. You just have to like, it's basically just like, you need to ask yourself these questions, be aware of it, understand your place in the cycle, whether you are consumer, whether you are fan, like the idea of being a fan gets tossed around a lot in the book and like what that even means, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I would really highly recommend it. It's cool because I've I, I know other people who have read the book and they've taken away different things from it than I have. Um, so it's interesting to kind of see how other people might think it's not as informative i i would i to me it really made a big impact on me this summer on how i'm you know interacting with these kind of movies and books so recommend it awesome uh yeah cool i i love the idea like of chapter by chapter her just being like jk rowling canceled and then it's like johnny depp maybe you know i don't know like (laughs) obviously i understand that's not um yeah i don't know about that one jim Hey, Jim, I saw a tweet today, you know, not not to take that lightly or anything, because that is a great wreck. But somebody was like. I think Zack Snyder is a 
very genuinely nice human being and he seems like a great guy and i think he makes trash movies so isn't that just like the inverse of you know liking movies from people who are like trash human beings you know it's like if i can think zack snyder's movies are bad i can think you know whatever chinatown is good but yeah i um, think we're in a world that, that does sound like a good we're in a world that just doesn't have a lot of room for nuance and i think like the the hard truth from my perspective is that great art is often made by terrible people um and people that have gone through terrible things and expressed that terribly into the world. Uh, and a lot of the time it informs great art. That doesn't mean that we should celebrate the people that they are. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be able to uh, consume that the art that they've made. I think there's a difference between celebrating the art and celebrating the artist. And I think it's really hard for us to like parse through those things. Nuance is tough. Yeah. That's what a lot of the book is about. Mm-hmm. And like finding out after the fact is different than actively. Like yeah, like I, you I can't see feel... what you're saying, Jed. Like, but I also don't want somebody to be terrible in making the art and just be like, well, that's part of the process. No, of course. So like, I'll give a personal example. Like Ryan Adams was one of my favorite artists for a long time. He, it came, you know, a lot of like very uh, problematic things came out with him from like being abusive in past relationships and um, you know, sexually coercing minors and i no longer listen to his music like it's still a huge part of like my musical like journey and like there are times where like i kind of crave not knowing that because like i do love the songs but in that context the art is ruined for me because this is a man singing about it like about personal struggles and like i hear it through i like i see things now through like a nasty lens right like I can't, I can't abide by the artist. Therefore, I cannot abide by his art because his art is so personal. But mm-hmm. I fucking rewatched Harry Potter's every year. You know, I, I've reread the books. You know, J.K. Rowling I think is a terrible human being, but I think she's made some fantastic art that people have been able to relate to and find personal meaning in, especially the people that she claims to, you know, to not recognize or or uh, you know, espouse hate towards. And like, mm-hmm. I find that like awful, but I still think that the art that she made rises above like her specific beliefs. Um, and so I don't know, like that's personally, like, I think like, like Chip was saying, like what the book says, it's case by case basis. You have to judge that for yourself. Um, Let's all go around and name yeah. the canceled celebrities that we still enjoy their art of. I, that was really brave of me. That was, I'm proud of you. <laughs> so brave uh all right let's let's uh get brave with these last recommendations ship yeah uh you just went uh so evan is going to recommend an army hammer movie next uh what do you got evan what's your um, final recommendation i i chip brought him up i'm going to be very gracious just because i think i owe it to uh to them in a way um and i think there's just so much overlapping interests but I have just absolutely gotten a kick this year out of Blank Check uh, with David Sims and Griffin Newman. Griffin is a is an actor, kind of turned podcaster, now podcaster slash actor. Um, David Sims writes for The Atlantic, Chip, yes, I does. believe. Yeah, um, is one of my favorite critics is why I read most of the reviews that he puts out. He's a very good writer as well. Um, but they just do a podcast doing my favorite thing, which is just going through directors filmographies and making connections you know they they talk about each individual movie in a filmography um but so much of the conversation is talking about other movies and how 
one decision led to another and how, you know, where an actor was in their career when they decided to work with a certain director and why that might have been beneficial for both of them. And there's a lot of kind of inside Hollywood type stuff. And there's a good mix of like, you know, thoughtful research as well as like maybe conjecture through being in the circles, you know, that they're in, in, in New York specifically. And I'm sure in LA a bit as well um, through Griffin's acting, but um, yeah, it, it's a great time and they've covered some great directors. I mean, if you're interested at all in Kubrick or, or Nolan or um, any number of, I mean, we talked about Burton and, you know, they just finished David Fincher um, just any number of great directors they, they have covered and are covering. And, uh, I just think that a lot of what we do is in a similar vein of just throwing so much stuff out there for you to kind of grab onto and, and go look at yourself. The, yeah. the Royal you. Yeah, there. definitely. They've taken up a lot of my Spotify listening this year too. It's one, I love how staunchly New York they are so much like media now is in LA like, mm-hmm. I mean, even The Ringer Agreed. is in L.A. now, and mm-hmm. it's it they're they're so stuck in their New York ways, you know, like like obviously New York has changed so much. I mean, from like the 1950s of Maisel that I was talking about. Right. But they are just they're just New York boys to their core. And I kind of like how East Coast they are. But I don't know. I, I don't know how to describe it, but they've just got this. Boots in the ground, New York vibe to their podcast. But- but that's such a big, it informs to me, like I talk about that all the time in the city. There's about six different theaters that I go to around San Francisco, any variation. Some I go to all the time, some maybe once every few months, depending on what they're playing. So much of what informs, you know, the way you feel about a movie, I think, is like, did you take the bus to get there? Did you drive to get there? Did you walk to get there? Did you get a slice of pizza after? Were you with somebody? And so I love when they have those conversations just about the different theaters in New York and, you know, the ones that you have to take, like, two um two subways to versus the one that you can walk right down the street and kind of like what situation does that put you in by the time you're actually walking into that theater or you know walking into a theater and the ac is or broken or the something theater like that's that. like underneath the train exactly exactly um so I, I do know what you mean it's very new york the way that they talk about that stuff and um i mean griffin specifically has been there a long time i mean his entire life and, and it sounds like his dad at least grew up there and stuff as well where's, so where's david where did david grow up we can't talk about that. We can't talk about that. Yeah, we can't talk about it. They retired it. Awesome. Jed, what do you got? I need to I need to listen. I've never listened to Blank Check. So uh, I'm going to hop on the train. Uh, my last recommendation is another Christmas recommendation. It's a little bit broad, and then I'll narrow it down. Uh, it's it's just Christmas music. Guys, Christmas music is good. Uh, as a former Christmas music hater, um, a recovered Christmas music hater uh, yeah. who would reject... The idea of Christmas music, I can say that it is good uh, and it is right and it is just. Uh, and I'm really enjoying myself. Just diving I would in. not I would not have guessed this about you, that you're a reformed Christmas <laughs> musicator. This oh. seems like it would be Jed core from the beginning. No, it, man, I, I just really so I was always like, I hate it. It's too it was like too sincere. Um, mm. And I'm growing in my. My love for sincerity uh, across all forms of art. I think I've always loved sincerity in my films uh, and not necessarily so in my music. Uh, and now I'm learning to love. And man, Christmas music is awesome. Uh, I'm just feeling the magic this year. I've got uh, two two young children. I think that is contributing to it. Um, 
I just decided to stop being bah humbug last year and hung the Christmas lights early. This year, I've had the Christmas lights up since like November 1st. Uh, started listening to Christmas music before Thanksgiving, which was I was always no Christmas until after Thanksgiving kind of guy. Um, and yeah, just everybody just go listen to Christmas music. There's a lot of classics, but there's also a lot of of good modern stuff. So this is where the recommendation narrows. So I'm actually going it's kind of like a buy recommendation. Because my favorite new Christmas song, I mean, new, my favorite recent release of a traditional Christmas song is Christmas Dreaming by an artist called Stella Cole. She uh, is kind of Instagram famous. She's got like 500,000 followers. You can follow her at Stella K. Cole. She is a an incredible, incredible singer and performer, kind of in the tradition of like the Judy Garlands of the world, like very, very old school um, you know, the Ella Fitzgerald's like slow jazz singing. And it is like actually kind of weird and like mind bending to hear her voice like coming out of her body. Like when you see her, it's like, oh, wow, like that is that feels like it's from another time. Uh, and she did uh, Christmas Dreaming, which is a song that Frank Sinatra's previously done. And I've been listening to it nonstop. It is just so uh, gentle and sincere and i really love it and i've i i love like watching her videos and i i am like i'm along for the ride with her she's you know kind of trying to take up i guess like female michael buble block um which is awesome uh, but she's fucking amazing uh and has like even though it is in that vein it doesn't feel like it's derivative of anybody else it feels like it's really like natural and unique to her own right you hear a lot of people like Everyone talks about Seth MacFarlane's got a great voice, right? But he just is like ripping off the way Sinatra sings. Like it's literally just a parody of Sinatra. He does a really like nice parody of it. So when he sings, you're like, oh, that's enjoyable and nice to listen to. Mm -hmm. But while being in the same vein of like those old school singers, she's got a unique voice of her own. Uh, and I really enjoy it. So that's my final recommendation. Stella Cole and Christmas music. Nice. I love it. I want to throw that on in the, uh, the various car trips coming up here for the holidays. So um, I'm going to end this on like a little bit of a gnarly note, but I really want to talk about this movie. But it's like a good it's. <laughs> Jed is you like always so... do this, man. You always do this. Jed takes up such a buzzkill. OK, here no, we go. It's just like, I mean, brother, you got to like st structure the recommendation. So we end on a little bit of a high note. I don't even know what you're going to recommend, but it's just going to be like. So it's a murder horror thriller. Uh, it's set in Christmas. Someone murders Santa Claus. Uh, <laughs> puts on the coat. It's like Tim Allen's The Santa Claus, except murder. Uh, so I, I could recommend something really super sappy and sweet and nice at the end of this, and I'm going to. But for now, I'm going to talk about the movie The Manchurian Candidate from 2004 by Jonathan Demme. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's one of my favorite movies from this year, and it's a movie I keep thinking about it. So it's it's a remake, 1960s John Frankenheimer, Frank Sinatra movie. But this one, it's it's Jonathan Demme, it's Denzel Washington. It is a conspiracy political movie. It is a very post 9/11, post Gulf War, Bush administration view on government power and brainwashing, and how and PTSD, and so it's. Like, this is such an overused phrase. This movie is so ahead of its time. In the way that, like, any given Sunday was ahead of its time on on concussions, this movie was, like, ahead of its time on, like, PTSD and things like that. It has a crazy cast, especially for the time it was made. Like, Jeffrey Wright. Cast. 
amazing. Jeffrey Wright is here for a couple scenes. John Voigt, Anthony Mackie, Vera Farmiga, um, um, Ted Leave, Levine is all. Leave Schreiber, bro. Leave Schreiber. Yeah, well, that's the thing is Leave Schreiber and Meryl Streep have a car- fucking Freudian ass mother son relationship. It's even crazier in the original, but in this, like, it's it's. You have to see it to believe it to see what Leah Schreiber and, and Meryl Streep are getting into this movie. But it's it's such a damning movie of just like America. It's just like it absolutely it, it has a the funny thing is this movie has a happy ending. In this movie, like like everybody wins. The the good guys win. They take down the the global cabal that's trying to brainwash our president and they win because Denzel Washington basically outsmarts everybody and powers through how they try to brainwash him. Um, but it really does just throw a spotlight on the government, on war crimes, complete lack of moral compass in our country in a way that is very relevant. Um, and makes me wonder, where is Henry Kissinger tonight? Oh, wait. We are recording on the night that Henry Kissinger has left us, and that's why I want to recommend this movie. War crimes. They will not stand. I can talk about something happy now if you want, Jeff. Can I throw a little asterisk on it? Live your truth, JT Chipman. Live your truth. Uh, I'm proud of you. It's a good movie. It's a great movie, actually. It's a great movie. Absolutely. I cannot emphasize enough how fun it is to watch close-ups of Denzel Washington. With that, we should also be recommending Macbeth. Uh, honestly, could recommend that again. I uh, have you guys rewatched that? I know this. No, but I would. I would rewatch it right now. Boys, boys, watched it about three weeks ago. I, there I, was, I should rewatch that. It's the fucking. It's the shit. It's the fucking shit. I don't understand. Like that. That did, movie did not get enough credit when it came out. That movie is. I mean, I guess it. Like whatever. Shakespeare is. Billy Shakes is the goat, right? Um, but he is, he is. But I gotta say, Denzel in that movie just like is chewing, eating, gnawing on every uh, scene that he gets. Yeah, it's, well, it's my, spectacular. One of my favorite critics, Paul Thompson, who writes for LA Review of Books, he said that Tragedy Macbeth and Tar are the two best movies to come out since the pandemic. And I just, I, I've thought about that take a lot, and I love it. Love that. Uh, well, guys, this was a lot of fun. I'm excited to dive into uh, a lot of these recommendations. Um, we'll we'll probably put out a list on Twitter of what our recommendations were so that everyone can follow along. I know it's a lot to keep as you're listening. Uh, and anything that requires a link will be linked in the show notes as well. Uh, if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter at Flicking Scream on Instagram at Flicking and Screaming. Thank you so much, as always, for listening. Join the conversation at FlickingAndScreaming.com. we got a really fun one for you guys next week. But we'll save that for next week. For Flicking and Screaming, I'm Jed Sprague, Evan Fagundis, JT Chipman. Have a good one, everybody. See ya. See ya. And now, the starting lineup for your... Gangsters, what's up, guys? I was slacker. I'm not going to debate you, Jerry. God bless the internet.